Hi, Dennis Quaid here, and I wanted to tell you about Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Raw and absolutely riveting, and with over 16 million downloads, Wrongful Conviction Podcast are social justice in action, featuring stories about and interviews with men and women who have spent decades behind bars for crimes they did not commit. Some have since been released, while others still face a death sentence or life in prison but all have been victims of a frighteningly flawed justice system. Wrongful Conviction Podcast does more than simply tell the stories of those who have been wrongfully in prison. The show has inspired me to learn more and to get involved, and I hope it will do the same for you. Listen to Wrongful Conviction Podcast wherever you tune in to your favorite podcast. Hi there, my name is John Paul Kermy. I am a breathwork teacher. I train people on how to teach breathwork as well. I'm really excited to be doing this new podcast with my good friend Feldy called Hangups, where we're going to help you change your life. We're going to show you how to transform your life with different tools. That's right. I'm John Feldman. I'm in a band called Goldfinger. John Paul taught me breathwork. It changed my life. I have struggled with anxiety and depression throughout my life, and I've gotten through it. This is a solution-based show. We're talking about solutions to problems today. This is awesome. Okay, so today's guest is Ukash Ambakar. Did I say that right? I'm Budkar. The Wi-Fi is being used, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both, both my kids are on their own Zoom calls right now in class, dude. It's like, I just can't, I can't believe this is what my son's going into high school this year. My daughter's going into middle school. And this is their experience where, you know, my experience was walking to school, taking bong hits. And like, I don't know, it was very different experience for me than it was for them. They, I mean, I guess, thank God. My, my daughter's going to the school, but I am paying for daycare at public school, $200 a week for daycare at public school, and their teacher's at home, but she's going to be doing school on the computer with her teacher who's at home, but she'll be at the school, and I'll be paying for daycare at public school. Is that insane? It's, uh, I mean, it's I can't, interesting time. Dude, you're, in, uh, you're in New York, right? New York City? I'm in LA. I'm somewhere between the, uh, John Paul, where are you, you in LA? No, are you I'm West in- Side? No, I'm in Bend, Oregon now. I moved to Bend. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I usually come back and forth like every month for, you know, a week or a couple of days and do some breathwork stuff. But I, I moved here two years ago and I haven't been back there since January. So it's been, it's been I mean, I love Bend, Oregon. It's amazing. But uh, yeah, yeah, I kept my house there. I have a house out in the Valley by Feldy. Um, but I used to be in Santa Monica for years. Yeah, I'm in the Valley. I'm in like Studio City-ish area. Yeah, Feldy's Calabasas and my house is like West Hills, like over there. Got it. But we have another I come down. I come down to that Alfred a lot in Studio City. That's my favorite coffee in the Valley. Do you ever go there? I haven't been anywhere in six months. I've been in this house. I've Are just you been like, like full lockdown? Yeah, we're full. Full. Well, I have a five-month-old baby, five-month-old son. We just had a baby. Congratulations, dude. That is, I mean, 
I would say that that was conceived in in the lockdown, but these two, these two, it's not going to work. Those dates don't work. So, but born at home on our bed for sure. Like, Um, talk about that. That's crazy. Let's hear that story. We, because we had a uh, like a regular doctor person, OBGYN, great guy, and then Corona hit. We had to cancel our baby shower, and we were like. You know, they were saying also that husbands or partners couldn't go into the delivery room at that time in LA. They were like, yeah, she can have the baby, but you can't be there. Well, lucky for me, Naomi, my wife was like, that's a non-starter. That's not going to happen. There's no way that he's not going to be in the room with me. And I was like, you really trust me that much? <laughs> you, Wait, your like, wife's you... name is Naomi? Yeah, it's it's Naomi, like Naomi, but she's that's my, from... That's my wife's name. Oh, cool. And, and it's pronounced Naomi. Yeah, she's uh, Samoan. She's from New Zealand. Oh, my wife is uh, Japanese, half Japanese, half dream cool. killer. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but she's Canadian, so... That's so, tell, so talk about this baby. Talk about this birth. That's, that's wild. So, so she was like, we're going to have the baby at home. Um, I have a stepdaughter that she was born at home. And so I think my wife is, was just like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I've done it. It'll be okay. And I was like, are you, are you sure? Because this is, you know, this is a, you know, a child coming out of you. Uh, and it was the quickest labor ever. She like started going into contractions at midnight. Baby was born at like 530 in the morning. The midwife, literally like the midwife was like, call me when the contractions are between two minutes. By the way, I'm ta- I don't know shit about shit. I don't know any of this stuff. So like, I'm talking like I'm an expert, but like if I had to do it again, I'd be, it'd be, I'd still be like head over ass. I wouldn't know what I was doing, but she's like, call when it's two minutes apart. So we're like, cool, cool, cool. There's six minutes, five minutes. And then all of a sudden she's like, I'm having this baby. I was like, what happened to the two minutes? You were supposed to like, we were, we had a plan, but baby boy was like, no, nah, I'm ready. Water breaks. I called a midwife. I'm like, hey, I got goo all over me. What are we doing here? Midwife runs into our house, literally runs in, puts a mask on, and within maybe 90 seconds, the baby has come out into the midwife's hands. And then the midwife looks to me like to pass the baby to me, and I'm like, why would you pass it? I'm not qualified to hold the baby. What, what, <laughs> what, what makes you think that I... I'm going to, I don't want to, but she gave me like an extra look like, no, 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 you actually have to take this baby now and hand it to, <laughs> to hand it to your mother. So I like sort of shuffled. It wasn't even like I held him. I kind of just like co-held him and guided him into Naomi's arms. And we What's your son's name? His name is Bhumi, which means earth in Sanskrit. B-H-U-M-I, Bhumi. I love it. So... We've been hunkered down and, you know, his immune system anyway was, you know, we couldn't have gone out as it was, even if there wasn't a pandemic. Yeah. But now we've just been extra careful and staying at home. We just started for our, like, I know this is about mental health. Last week, both of us were like, oh, I think we're done with this, with this quarantine. Like, I think we've reached our limit of self-sufficiency and we need to start branching out with other people who are being safe, who have children, who are connected and activating doing something for ourselves and together we like we our wedding anniversary was this weekend we both forgot it completely 
was one like, year, right? I saw that. I saw yeah, that on one your year. Instagram. I was researching you, and I knew you were a working actor, but like, I didn't know you were working. Like, you work your ass off, dude. You've been in everything from the Muppets to. I mean, Mulan, and you, I mean, I couldn't believe your IMBD page. I was going through it. It was just insane. You work your ass off. The Mindy Project. Were you, were you in Barbershop, too, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I was in the third Barbershop when I was six months sober. It was, uh, it was insane. Well, yeah, I was, the idea, like, Cedric the Entertainer was pa- passed me a joint, and he was like, Snoop gave this to me. And it was this fat root. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, it's only six months. Like, I <laughs> could get it back. Right, but I remember, but that uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not obviously, but I'm still sober. So I, I said no, thank you, and I learned a lot of tools of how to be be very very uncomfortable in those situations and still be okay. Yeah, or, or learn that I would be okay. But yeah, I remember barbershop vividly because I was still figuring out just how how to I guess metaphorically just move, walk, function. How long How long are you sober now? It'll be six years in October, so I don't want to jump ahead. F- five years and some change. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, you have these moments in sobriety that never seem to come up when you were uh, using or drinking or whatever. I, I was at the Stanley Cup finals when the Kings won the cup, and I was with uh, Matthew Perry, and we were h- hanging out with the Kings throughout the whole season. And after they had just won the cup, and they were pouring beer and drinking out of the cup, and one of the Kings, Kopitar, handed me the cup, the Stanley Cup, to drink out of. And he's like, come on. And I'm like, I can't. He's like, why? I'm like, because I'll drink that and then I'll go to the open bar and then I'll hit on the hottest girl here who's your girlfriend and then we'll fight. And he's like, let's just do a picture then, you know? And so those moments just never came up when I was drinking. I just was, I was just home, drunk. It's a funny right. thing, like the idea of uh, getting what we want, you know, when we, when, we, when we stop drinking and then what we want. There's so many parallels. I played the pageant in in St. Louis and I remember coming off stage and I was with my wife for probably 10 years at that point. And I go backstage and two of the guys in my band had all all this cocaine laid out on the glass table and there was two strippers in the um, shower naked. I just opened the door. I saw the situation and I just turned back around and went right into a taxi back to my hotel room. I'm like, fuck, if only I knew what I wanted was going to come with all this stuff, all this kind of temptation. Right. But, um, you know, for the most part, I mean, no, 100, 100% of the time I've been, I've done the right thing, you know, but these situations are, it is interesting how we deal with them, you know, now that we're sober. Well, you, you are a great example and have always been uh, for me, Feldy, because you're somebody, Feldy somebody who openly is like, I've been with my wife for this amount of time. I've been faithful for this amount of time. You go to his house. I remember going to a Christmas party at your house and this, this dude brought his own snow. Like there was <laughs> like, so, and then not only that, but seems seemed to me comfortable enough in your own skin that then you did like a, a concert for everyone and your son came and he played drums. So it's like, intrinsically you're like wow this is a child who respects his father enough to try and get into the arts and do what he does and uh the way you opened up your home and the way you've always sort of like been very present it's been a very challenging time this quarantine and i found a lot of validation in my life from work like you just said i work my ass off for a reason it feels good to be on set it feels good to be in 
community. I'm also making up for lost time. I, my whole 20s was basically like, you have a lot of potential. And then when I hit 30, they were like, it's gone now. Good luck. Um, but but uh, Feldy has this saying, which I'm sure you took from someone else, but it's, uh, I love my life. It's just a very simple thing where you wake up, the, the sky's dark and it feels like a rain clouds over your head and you know you're like haven't worn underwear in six weeks and it's just like i love my life what would feldy say i love my life i love my life now let's start acting like a person let's flip the perspective every morning you've been instrumental in at least me chipping away at that sort of darkness that can seep in from time to time mm. so thanks yeah, oh, I had a question for you, Feldy. Were you sober? Real quick, were you sober when you were at the shoe store and got your record deal? Yeah, I got sober when sober I was then? 21. So, I mean, I, I, I had first stages of, of, of cirrhosis, of cirrhosis of the liver when I was 17. And so I, I continued to drink and do drugs till I was 21. And then I, I went, I've been to jail a couple times. I went to jail in Mexico. And, um, you know, right before I got sober, I, I came to in Mexico and there was like, the, like, I don't know, seven or eight older, you know, these lo local Rosarito Mexican dudes just looking at me. And, uh, and I had my long, I, I, you know, I always say I wanted to be Jim Morrison, but I just had my long Brett Michaels hairdo. And I was like, I'm fucked, man. I'm fucked in this jail. And it was like, by the time I got sober, um, it was it was like there was two choices. It was life or death. And so for me, um, uh, my whole trajectory, you know, as far as my music career only started after I got sober. And had I not been at that shoe store, like, you know, I'm sure I've told you the story, you know, I, w I would have never had the life that I have. And, and I really appreciate you saying that stuff because there are there are days today, you know, you know, even um, this week I woke up and I'm like, when is this fucking going to go away? Like the idea that it's never going to work out, you know, all my success is going to go away. You know, it's all, when are they going to find out that I'm a fucking fake, you know, all those feelings. And then I say, I love my life. I meditate, I pray. And then it's just, it just flips. The whole script flips because I trick myself. It's like this thing where I think I'm so smart, but I say I love my life. And then all of a sudden I fucking feel it. I feel it inside. And then everything just, you know, like last night, my son was like, who I love. I God, I love my kids more than anything. And he's like, I want to go ride bikes. But Travis Barker called me up and he's like, dude, we got we to gotta write a song for Trippy Red. And I'm like, fuck, I can't go ride bikes with my son. But then conversely, he sees that this is what men do. And I get to provide for my family and I get to do what I love for a living. And he gets to see that, you know? So all this stuff, like I was thinking about when my son was born, like you're telling you know, your story, they wouldn't, they, they said that to me, we can't let you in the room because the, the day before my son was born, this guy at Cedar sinai he saw the epidural needle and he passed out, fainted, hit his head and died the day his son was born, the day oh. before my son was born. And it's like these things happen to us. And it's like we get to see how grateful we are to have this life that we do. Dude, that was amazing. That is crazy. I saw the epidural needle and it, the guy put it like in my wife's spine. And I was like, I want some of that. Like, that looks awesome. <laughs> I'm like, that's, and then I saw how my wife changed. I was like, whatever is in that must be amazing. Like, that was my thought when I, when I saw that shit. 
And my son came out, yeah. the cord was wrapped around his neck. Like the heartbeat dropped oh. on the monitor. They started freaking out. They came in and all these doctors came in and took over. And they're like, we got to get the baby out now. So that was super scary. He came out, it was like blue. And then I guess that's actually really common, but it was, it, it freaked me out. It wasn't like the birth of my daughter. It was a different experience. Utkarsh, you're baby. All, Sorry, go ahead. You're also a musician, aren't you? Yep. That's sort of also how I'm, keep the headspace clear as yeah. it were. I mean, not sort of, it's 100% because when you're an, an actor, you're at the mercy of other people's opinions constantly. And they're right. like, nah, we don't hire. And look, things have changed now. So I'm just going to tell you a general idea of what it's like to have been me working since I'm 20. So 15 years. And just know that it's better than it's ever been for anyone listening. But generally it's like, it's been no, we don't hire Indians for roles like that. That's not for you. If you want to come in, you can, can you do that with an accent? Uh, we love him. He's like the Indian version of this, but we just need the white version of that. Like, uh, you know what it is. So you're fucking nonsense. And the result is a self-worth. You already get into acting because of low self-esteem or self-worth. <laughs> I did. I got in for attention. I was yeah. like, I didn't have the life that I, and again, now I know with the, the special brain conditions that we all share, what, what it was that was sort of making me feel less than or other, or constantly putting me on the outside of every circle that I may have even been in. But, you know, if I determine my self-worth based on the opinions of people who are trying to make money in movies and television, then I'm going to go insane. And for a short period of time, I was like, uh, you know, I lived and died by the audition. And then after a while, I come to find that, like, if I read the page, do my best, throw the papers in the trash on my way out so that everyone can see, get in the car, put a beat on and start rapping and expressing myself. Nobody can control me. I get to speak with me, with God, with whoever, my intuition. And it's mine to build, to create, because then even that can become commodified and people can have expectations of what a Goldfinger album should be like. And you're like, Goldfinger's dubstep now. And they're like, no, 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 no. Goldfinger is punk, ska, and otherwise change the fucking name. So like, I, I know you probably have a different perspective, but for me, music has been the great equalizer in my life. It's been the place where I find freedom and expression and nobody can touch it. So if I don't make a dime off it, I still am making way more spiritual currency from doing that than from acting. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because I've always, since I started playing music at 12, I mean, music is the one thing, my, my, the music that I write in my own band is the one thing that no one can ever take away that talent and the ability for me to create my own music. And I'm so grateful that I have that because, I mean, unless you can be an advocate for your own life, you're fucked. I mean, no one is going to do the work for you. You've got to do the work, you know, and our good friend, um, Andre, I know, uh, Saw your show, um, Freestyle Love Supreme, right? That's what it's called in New York. Yep. Andre, yeah. And he, mm -hmm. he, Andre, if you're listening, love you, buddy. Yeah, I, I was talking to him last week, and uh, and he just, you know, he told me that was the coolest show he's ever seen. Like the idea that you guys just freestyle this, and all of the 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 best work that I've ever done is have been with artists that um, basically all, all write a beat or all write music or something and they'll just go in there and they'll, and they'll freestyle a melody and just kind of go 
do their thing, the magic of, of that moment. When I'm on stage and it's live and I see some kid that looks like Scott Stapp from Creed, I'm like, dude, Scott, come on, Creed, get on stage. Like those moments that you're just there and, and it's just coming like from wherever that comes from. I mean, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, you kind of just hit it on its head. I started freestyling uh, as like a party trick, you know, in high school. I didn't even know I could do it. I was just sort of like rapping into tape recorders, like you were saying, making up songs. Also like Goldfinger for me, and I don't like that. Yeah, here That's the style that you, the style that you guys were, because ska became big when I was in middle school and high school. So like, the no doubts and the boss tones and all those things. But like you are even sublime, right? To some extent, right? And, but that for some reason, and it's so wild to be able to be on your podcast talking to you, that Goldfinger album, your music was the one where I was like, fuck all those other dudes. This is the band that I fuck with. I fuck with Beastie Boys and I fuck with Goldfinger. And then for me, I was huge into hip hop. So then it was like Biggie, Bone Thugs and Harmony. But in terms of like, in terms of like that, the kind of music that all you guys like, that here in my bedroom track is my jam. And I would just melt that record. But um, like coming up, like I, I had that, that sort of melody and that expression. But in terms of Freestyle Love Supreme, yeah, I mean, you said it. It's a connection to, uh, to it's my connection to God. Like when I'm speaking in that way, it's my, where does it come from? I don't know. I have an idea for a melody or for words or a style or, or a feeling. And then like, I've just learned at first I was like, wow, I'm so dope. I'm so good at this. <laughs> like, I was like, oh shit. I just rhymed like conglomerate with bomb and shit. I'm the best. And then now I've learned that like, I get, a gift of that energy of that life source or that blood and it's filtered through my the way i express things and you know this feldy like you get an idea for a song and it's there you feel it you know how it's supposed to feel you're like okay i know how i want to feel i know how people listening to it are going to feel if i can just get the fuck out of the way of this idea and let it happen like as long as i don't mess this up because god just gave me a gift as long as I don't put in a hi-hat where it's not supposed to be because I think it's going to sound good or put some reverb in here because I think I want to be cute and sexy. As long as I just get the hell out of the way, maybe I can give people the message that was given to me. And in, in not that we're some saints or, or things like that, but just strictly as music makers, that's how I look at it now. It's interesting. You know, here in your bedroom, I wrote in about 10 minutes, you know, I was you know, at the time I was still selling shoes on the promenade and, uh, you know, I, I got with this girl that I've been wanting to get with for about a year that I worked with at the shoe store and it's just all kind of came together. And, uh, and those moments that happen that you're connected with, you know, the source, it's like, um, I work with artists all the time that like, I mean, 99% of the time, first idea is best idea in my business. It just comes out and it's there. And you just, like you just said, like, don't overanalyze it. Don't overthink it. Don't tear it down and try and spend five days on this idea, this magic as it exists. 
And it's like there are moments in my business as a producer where I have to pander to the artist because they're the ones paying me. And it's like, I'm just here to steer the ship. And I know in my, I know in the back of my mind that this idea we cannot fuck with is magic. And then, you know, two days later, we're still fucking with it. And I just want to say, and sometimes I do say, dude, you were, you nailed it the first time, you know, and it's, uh, it's an interesting thing that we do, you know, creating. Well, yeah, I get worried too, like about working. I work with a producer as well. Um, and I worry that sometimes I'm like, are you just doing what I'm, I want to do? Because I need somebody who's going to tell, I'm going to go off the rails. Like I'm a perfectionist, but then one day I'm insecure. And you know how artists are like, we come up with the melody and the next day it's like, no, 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 no. It's got to be in a different key. Or like, I was singing it in the car 4,000 times and I like it better this way. As opposed to like, like you said, the initial spark is where the integrity is. And it's tough because I, I have to work with people. And this is, I think, why, you know, sobriety has been great for me because it taught me how to take criticism in a constructive way. And it taught me how it really has been like, yo, man, you've established over time that your best ideas are, are generally awful. Your instincts uh, have become much better and your intuition is much stronger. But your first idea, not that first source creativity thing, but the first thing your brain does to that sort of spiritual experience is generally not a good idea because it's based in like ego or it wants attention, or it's like, ooh, this will be cool. My biggest thing is like, what'll be cool? And everyone's like, cool is just being unique. You're never gonna be cool if you're trying to be cool, all that stuff, you know what I mean? So I have to work with people who hopefully like you can be like, you got it right the first time, you have to move on. What's it like with Lin-Manuel Miranda? What's it like working with him? I mean, Lynn and I are brothers. Lynn and I are partners in rhyme, as it were. Lynn, Lynn is steel sharp and steel. When we do Freestyle Love Supreme together, for those who don't know, Freestyle Love Supreme is a completely improvised hip hop comedy show. Um, we've been doing it for 15 years. Um, we just finished a run on Broadway before Broadway shut down like the rest of the country. But um, it's, a, it's basically whose line is it anyway with rap. And Lynn and I have been in this group together since we're in our early 20s. So um, Lynn is, a, it's, he and I just want to be better than the other, than each other. Like, but not in a way that's, comp it's competitive, but in supportive. Like, I want to outwrap you, but I know that I'm, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be better than you. And then I know inexplicably, you will say something that's better than what I've just said. And we'll continue to build in that way until the audience is frothing at the mouth and their eyes are rolling back in their head. And they're, oh my God, how did they do that? And you and me are just happy as little puppy dogs because we can jump as high as each other. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's been that way since the first time we ever rapped together. It's just, and it, it's, it, it's a really nice synergy of two people who love doing the same thing. Um, and obviously we, we each have our own separate careers in other areas in terms of Hamilton and my acting career and my writing and, and, um, but the source, the thing that always binds us is like, we rap, we send freestyle rap videos back and forth to each other as a form of communication. Like, that's just how we communicate where we, we communicate through that art form and that medium. And it's kept us close 
for all these years. So I imagine we'll be 60, 65 years old and still doing raps to each other. How often do the shows, are you, are you rapping the same concepts? I mean, is it like crowd dependent? Like how do you kind of look at the audience? Right. Gonna go this way. Right. And I, th I think anybody who performs and Jean Paul, I know you teach, so you probably run into this as well when you're doing something repetitively. So five shows, identity, uh, gender stuff, um, eth ethnic stuff, race stuff, global things like five shows. You're like, cool. 250 shows. Like, you know what I'm saying? This Broadway run by like show 175. You're like, I don't know how many, like, can I rap about being Indian again? Like in a way that is new. These, this audience doesn't know they've paid seven, 800 bucks for a ticket. They've come for a new experience. How do I make the experience new for myself? Because I'm supposed to be freestyling. Everything I'm supposed to be saying is improvisational. I'm not supposed to have any stock rhymes, stock thoughts, stock feelings. I'm supposed to open up, like you said, to the universe and let whatever comes, comes. It becomes really difficult when you're on and Jean Paul, I know you teach, right? So you, yeah. how, like, how do I do I, it? <clears throat> so I do the yeah, same class. I do it every week. I've been doing it every Sunday since the shutdown. Right. And I have a structure. So the beginning is a, is kind of a pat structure of like, because there's a lot of, of things I need to communicate to people so they don't freak out during the class. Like if this happens, if your hands clamp up, don't freak out, you know, you've thrown up gang signs. It's fine. Don't worry. You know? So but then and during the class, like I want to be moved myself and I want to move right. people. So I need to find, I find new things to say in the class. And I always try and find something new to read at the end. And I read this thing this weekend, this past Sunday, I want to send you the class. It'll be up until tomorrow. And it's called, as I began to love myself and it's attributed to Charlie Chaplin, but he actually didn't do it. He didn't write it. And man, I could barely keep it together when I was reading this, this poem or this, this thing. I was breaking down bawling throughout the thing, reading it. And so when I open myself up like that and I open my heart up like that and I allow myself to be that vulnerable, it gives the people in my class permission to be vulnerable and then they break down and they let that shit go. And so when they hear it from me, that it, it opens them up. And so I, in order for me to be moved like that, I need to find something that moves me. And so right. I'm always looking for music that moves me for my class. And I'm always looking for things to say and like trying to come up with it on my own. It's like, I, I gotta be creating. I mean, that theme keeps coming up in this podcast. It's like, in order to connect to something bigger than myself, my higher power, my source, whatever, I need to be creating stuff all the time. I need to be looking for that creation. I need to be touching into that. And when, I, when I'm in my heart, it's there. And when I move into my head, no longer connected to my source. When I start getting up into this computer in my brain. So I got to stay yeah. in my heart. Yeah, I've been in my brain quite a bit for this, the, this whole sort of time. It's been really tough not to, you said you got to create, but then I need to consume as well. Yeah. I need to like take in human energy and be around people and even just hug people. Connection. Uh, we, we're designed to have connection. I've, yeah, I've been in my head a lot. And when I get in my head, I get like paranoid sometimes or I'm like, people don't want to be friends with me. The isolator kind of pops in and things like that. And I get really, and then, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky that my family's not that way. Like my wife is very, she wakes up and she's like, new day, clean slate. This is what God gave me and I'm going to do my best with it. She's an incredibly balanced person. She's a wonderful mother, 
super attentive. And then I'm come, give me attention. I need attention. <laughs> She's like, no, you're a grown ass man. I have a newborn baby and a five-year-old who need my attention. Like you got to go meditate. You got to go to your, you know, your clubhouse meetings and you need to like make some music. So like go set up the cabin as a studio and come find me when you got it, when you have some, when you have like find the smile and then bring it to me. And I'm so lucky that I have a partner who recognizes that in me and also uh, encourages me and at times forces me to go there. She's like, yeah. go into the cave until you f- and do your little cave drawings and come out when you've discovered fire again. Do you but find like, that you need to keep finding new things? Like I, I, I mean, I keep breathwork has been the most powerful thing I've ever found, but over the 20 years I've been sober, it's like I've been onto one thing to the next to keep, to keep finding new things. I'm sure Feldy can relate to that too. It's like, whether it's boxing or it's breath work or it's meditation or it's cold showers. And I have, I have a float tank. I have a sensory deprivation tank in my house. I have a sauna (laughs) in my house. Like I'm always looking for some fucking thing I can buy. That's going to make me feel good. You know, are you finding that? Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'll tie it into the freestyle love Supreme, that question that Feldy had, which is like, you know, it's supposed to be a comedy show, but also John Paul, what you just said is so important. Like we, I can't entertain people unless I'm vulnerable. I'm not somebody who works well off of ego. People don't respond to that well, or like stoicism. People don't respond to, to my, me when I do that. I've learned that my superpower is vulnerability. When I tell you my truth, when I share the things that I struggle with, that's how I connect with human beings. That's how I feel connected. And it's a pretty, well, it's bare, you know, it's a little scary to be like, Hey, you, if you, if, if um, you misuse this trust, you can, you can cause harm to, I can, you know, the fear is that someone will be like, Hey, you said this thing that time, like we're going to use it against you. But you know, there was a, there's a part in the show called True. It's a song. It's part of this structure. And what happens is we get a word from the audience and then we tell a true story about that word. And I was so done with the run. I was like, dude, I've done, hey, I'm doing eight of these a week or seven of these a week. There's nothing new to get. Like, I have to subvert this. I have to change the flow. And at times I'll go off road and I'll be like that little anarchist, like the kid who wouldn't stop talking in class or like who would constantly get in trouble or get arrested. And so the word was candle. And I know I'm supposed to tell you some story about, you know, whatever, birthday cakes or God knows what to keep you giggling. But all I could see, and you talked about the first point of inspiration, all I could see was the candlelight vigils from my freshman year, second day of school when 9-11 happened in New York. And instead of telling a story about something sweet and kind, I was like, dude, this was my first day of class. We walked out. We saw the towers fell. We all ran up Fifth Avenue. We didn't know what to do. We tried to give blood. The blood banks were full. You know, we, this is what it was. Like it was quiet below 14th street. It was a sunny day. And you just see the audience be like, this is what I paid for. I don't think this is what I paid for, but it is, it's a true experience for whatever it is. I was genuine in the moment and I was able to share my truth and and the sadness or the connection. Cause if you were in New York, that day, you know how connected we were, that that connection uh, in the city that it happened. So, you know, that's how I keep things fresh. And it's not, it's sometimes it's just to break the fucking rules of the game, as long as I stay true. I, I don't know if that answered your question. 
Yeah. But I mean, that's true to yourself. I mean, ultimately, I feel like when I'm speaking my truth from myself, from my heart, whatever, I have to not give a shit about what people think. I can't, I can't be true to who I am. I can't be my authentic self, be real, be fucking honest within myself and give a shit what people think and worry about how it's going to look to other people. I have to decide. You know, I've learned, I learned that a, a, a bunch of years back and it's, it changed the direction of my life. You know, like Tony Robbins or Oprah Winfrey, they do not give a fuck what I think about them. You know, they, 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 have, they, they were great before they were great. You know, they were great before they were big. They, I, can't, I have to decide that this is who I'm going to be. And if people like me or they don't like me, that's up to them. It's none of my business. You know, that's, that's been my feeling. And that changed the direction of my life when I made that choice. Yeah, it's yeah, been slow going for me, I, for I, sure. Whenever I speak or have to do some public, you know, besides Goldfinger, whenever I'm out there, it's, it, it's like, I, you know, we can all be funny. We're all, you know, smart men. And, and the idea of I feel like whenever I have something heartfelt about, you know, my kids or my life or my sobriety or whatever, it just it, it feels like that's the thing that connects the most with people is the vulnerability. And uh, who would have, I mean, who would have thought, I mean, I was taught as a kid, like most of us that, you know, we don't cry, we don't show, you know, our heart on our sleeve, we don't do any of that shit. And, um, and, and now it's like, even today, if I, if I'm, if I ever share a story and start crying, people are just like, whoa, it's just so trippy to see a man cry in public you know it's such a weird thing and i mean hopefully that'll change you know over time i hope i mean that's all i see when every time i do my class people are fucking bawling i'm bawling so it's like my it's the normal for me but it's not normal in the real world you know it, but i came from you know the south shore of boston massachusetts where you you've got to be a tough guy you can't show vulnerability and so i used to you know every time those feel and i'm super sensitive and every time those feelings would start to come up for me i'd do a shot punch somebody in the face and it was all good and i've just learned Yo, but that- john yeah john paul you're you when i first met you i was like in uh the special summer camp that they send people like us to uh, <laughs> and uh and and you came in with a baby carrier. It must have been your daughter, whoever your first, like your My first daughter, child. Yes, yeah, she's seven. You, you came into that facility, um, yeah. that lovely, the lovely cabin, um, and you were fucking scary, bro. Intimidating, because you're like ripped. You you were like very stoic, super straight back. Like every time I I've heard you um, share your story. You've, you've always been somebody over time. I obviously like we softened to each other and I got to know you a little bit and we chatted um, in passing, but yeah, I, I totally see that, it, that, that, that um, there's a strength, right? And when you can take that, that environment that like, like, I'm not like that. I've been a softie my whole life. There's nobody's ever going to be afraid of me, um, which I also have to be okay with. I can't try and manufacture some sort of tough guy when there's never been one there. So I think it's like, I don't know what I'm saying. I think I, I completely relate to having to um, accept your self, but it can be tough. It can just be very, very difficult. And I, I think I don't want to like gloss over how challenging it is to even know who the F you are. So I was saying earlier, I, I keep needing to find things to 
express this stuff. And I've been meditating a lot through this pandemic thing. You know, I've been on the bench every morning for 25 minutes and starting to do it in the afternoons. And it's been, it's been helpful. And my wife is like, you're not reacting the same way. You know, I think that time in that space that we talk about that pause when agitated, I'm not reacting in the same way that I was before I was meditating. So meditation has been huge. You know, what's interesting is like, I was thinking just about the idea when you said, who, who am I? And like, like, like the, the kind of people that we have become by discovering what works for us. And like, when I have jobs lined up and when work is really great, I'm definitely a different person overall than when I'm not working and I don't have jobs lined up. It's like, and then how much can I rely on outside circumstances to feel happy inside? Because we all know it's an inside job. And then the idea of God and what that is, is definitely changed for me being raised Catholic as a kid and, and being an anarchist, you know, turning, you know, like really, you know, disavowing myself from the church and then kind of coming back around again to like believing that there is some kind of energy. It's uh, it's an interesting journey and like how much, you know, how much meditate, like I can meditate, do breath work, go boxing, hang out with my kids, do every single thing that makes me feel good. But if I'm not working, it just doesn't, I'm just never at that same level. A hundred percent, Feldy, you fucking nailed it. And that's been the struggle for me through this whole pandemic thing is I'm not, I mean, I'm working, I'm doing my class online on Sundays, but I'm not working. I'm not like, I had 250 people in the room, you know, all the time I had, well, you know, these trainings where I was training people and people were coming up to me. I'd have 250 people lined up to hug me afterwards to tell me I changed their life. And I need that connection and I need that connection with people. And that's been the struggle is I'm doing all this shit, but I'm not working like I was before the shutdown. You fucking nailed it right there. Yeah. And you can't really thrive. I mean, the, the new spaces are uncomfortable too. So it's like, I'm, I'm technically working quite a bit, but it's all on things that are isolated, first, first of all. And the, it's all in areas that I'm not, that I'm just picking up. It's basically like, okay, where, so like, and they're all exciting things. Uh, I'm writing a um, comic book for Marvel. I'm doing something with them. I'm like, wow. I've started working on an animated show as a writer, which I've never done. And like, I'm jumping into voiceover work, but none of it is comfortable. It's all like, okay, we're not, that's not the thing I thrive at doing. And also the, the, play, the thing that I love is like, show up, like wake up 4.30 in the morning, show up. 515 walk in hey how you doing what's going on makeup hair like let's let's build this what are we building what do we look like get on set hey how are you how you doing uh, learn everyone's name what does that camera do like it's just the it's the feeling the energy of it and i don't know this is the thing too is like you know i get a like you said i get a lot of energy out that way as well and so when i come home that that battery's full and what's left is I can just be like a normal person. I can be like, oh my gosh, it's so nice to be home. You should have seen what this guy did today. They had freaking, it was Taco Tuesday. Like what a wonderful day at work. I missed you. As opposed to being like, I'm not getting my fix. You know, how come you're giving the five-year-old more attention than me? And then hearing myself say that in my head and being like, I got to, I have to go meditate, but I'm, it's brand new for me. I'm on day 20 of a mindfulness practice, which 
for anyone in early meditation, this shit makes no sense. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I hope you're learning something from this week. And you're like, no, dude, I'm just trying to stay awake. Have you done breath work yet? No, I, I've heard, you know, legends about <laughs> John Paul's psychotropic breath work. Do you and like psychedelics? I, <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask you this because I have had a very real, and this is not like some, I haven't gone on a YouTube d- deep dive or anything like this, but you guys are both OG sober for a long time. And I think it's okay to ask you your personal opinions. They don't, they, you know, everyone listening, like we all know we're just speaking for ourselves here, but like I was talking to a therapist, which is normal. It's not like a new thing that's been happening for years. And he apparently has gone on many ayahuasca journeys, mescaline journeys. I'm sure you've been asked this so many times, but I was feeling jammed up and I'm like, well, I've pledged to this life of sobriety, but I'm the only person that made that pledge. And I don't, should I live in fear of being ostracized by this group of people that I've joined? Or should I go have this experience, which I'm told is medicinal and can clear up these cobwebs of doubt, fear, at least show me a goddamn mirror. Like, yeah. Like, let me that, know what I'm looking at here. This comes up a lot for me. And here's my thing. Cause I have a lot of people who come to my breathwork teacher trainings who went to an ayahuasca, you know, thing in Costa Rica and they, you know, to, to have the spiritual experience. And then they say, they also do breathwork at these things. And if the ayahuasca doesn't get you the spiritual experience, the breathwork will. And people are expecting to have a trippy ass experience from the ayahuasca, but what they're blown away with is the breathwork. They're not expecting to do this breathing thing and then have this incredible experience. So my thing is, is that, you know, ayahuasca, you can't do it on Tuesday afternoon when you're having a bad day, when your wife is like, you're being an asshole, uh, you know, but you can go in your room and you can lay down and you can do this breathing thing that I'll show you. You can do this for 25 minutes and you'll come out and you'll be like, I'm sorry, honey, you're amazing. And I want to have a shirt that say, I'm sorry for what I said before breath work, because I always come out and I'm like, I'm sorry, you're amazing. Because it just clears out all that nonsense. And you know, I just ayahuasca, it just isn't, a, for me personally, this is just me, it isn't a realistic, sustainable solution. I need something that's sustainable. I need something that I can do on a Tuesday afternoon. And then people tell me like, oh, I've had these incredible spiritual experiences and it changed my life. And I'm like, okay, show me where it changed your life. Because I can show you how breathwork has changed my life. Show me how ayahuasca has changed your life. That's just me, you know. I don't I don't want to go down that road and I've had people offer to fly me out to Rhythmia and for free and do the whole thing at the that the spot in Costa Rica and I'm like no thank you. Like I don't want to do it. I just that's just me. Feldy probably feels the same way. I don't want to speak for Feldy. Go ahead Feld. How do you feel about it? It is a touchy subject in our in our club, isn't it? You know, um this whole thing and I remember I remember sharing once uh when probably when I was five years sober and I was like I was you know I was like I went through panic attacks and anxiety uh in you know in while I was sober like I mean I was I remember like becoming agoraphobic as I was sober like not doing any drugs and I you know I I stopped everything I stopped sugar 
I, that's when I really started meditating. I started running every day for an hour and I just changed my whole life, you know, and by kind of changing my diet and exercise, I got through that period of time. And I remember talking about, you know, I'm so glad I didn't take medication. And, you know, I remember sharing my own opinion. And then, man, when I was 20 years sober, I got hit with this thing that I just had no idea i mean until i really went through like a, a real depression you know like a like like i could not there was nothing i mean i changed my diet i tried tms emdr i tried every single thing for about five years i just tried everything and then i got outside help and um you know now i have a very different opinion on outside help and medication and all of it because I went through it. And until you walk in someone's shoes, you don't know. And look, I know people that have done ayahuasca that are sober and um, I have, me personally, I have no judgment because until I've walked in their shoes, I don't know. But my only thing of, of like talking about their experiences is it's a, it's a short-term solution for a long-term problem for the most part, you know, because it, it doesn't last like the same way we do, you know, in, in, in sobriety, the, the steps that we take to stay sober is a, is a long-term solution where drugs and alcohol were just a short-term thing. And so I've, um, I have yet to meet someone that's done ayahuasca that's, that's, um, that, that has only done it once and had like a real right. long-term benefit. I think you answered it perfectly, John Paul. Like, what can I do on a Tuesday afternoon if I have yeah. 15 minutes? I think, I think it's, that, that sort of speaks for itself. Because that's what it is. That's what I've discovered is we store all this shit in our nervous system. Somebody pushed me off the slide when I was four on the playground. This girl said no to me. She rejected me. Uh, my parents were fucking whacked me. This, it just keeps going in there. We're just storing all this crap in our nervous system. And then we don't realize why we're reacting at this and we're reacting at our wife or we're reacting at this person. It's because it's just some fucking past experience we're reacting out of in our nervous system. And what breathwork has done for me is just cleared all that out and just clean me out it's like shutting all the fucking tabs down on the computer and rebooting the computer and now i'm like okay let's start fresh here and i'm i'm like a different guy and um yeah if it can do it for me it can do it for fucking anybody and feldy was the first guy that i did it on when i learned it i was like feldy because he was suffering from depression and i was like you got to try this fucking thing and i had him over at my house in my room just fucking bawling his eyes out and he's been doing it ever since with me for the past eight years right feldy yeah, fuck yeah. It's, uh, it really <laughs> is something you could do on a Tuesday for sure. It's like, and it's like, you know, I can, I can do it for 15 minutes and it's a total reset. So um, I wanted to ask you too, because uh, you, you said your wife is from New Zealand. Have you spent a lot of time there? Uh, quite a bit now. I was there uh, last year, two years ago now. I shot a movie there for six months and then that's how we met. We were both working on that film and then I've been back and forth since and we haven't been in quite a while, over a year, because we sort of got, we were in New York for the Broadway run and then Corona happened. So hopefully New Zealand will let us in the country like in Christmas time. That's the plan, but who knows? Uh, New Zealand is a, just an exceptional country, amazing, beautiful people, laid back, real, just so chill, just fits sort of the vibe that I aspire to very easygoing, amazing food, such a diverse, I mean, they, the U.S. is the most diverse country on the planet. That, that is just, it's just hands down the truth. But um, there is a diversity of like Asian culture in New Zealand and 
um, the local sort of the Indi- like the Samoan, Maori, Polynesian, that type of stuff. It's very cool. Hope, li- I mean, I mean, I'm dead ass serious. I hope they let us back in soon. Well, if um, your wife's a citizen, right? They have. Yeah, to we, we should be cool because we got grandparents that the baby boy needs to meet and uncles you, and aunts. You hit on the self-care, um, which I think is important. I think when I'm doing all my self-care, that's when I'm a great dad and a great husband. And when I'm not doing my self-care, I'm a selfish, self-centered, egomaniac asshole. And it's just like, it's just how it is for some reason. I don't know yeah. why, you know, but I got to do that shit that I got to take care of myself. Yeah, and it it's, takes more. You have to be more vigilant now because we don't get the the usual um, the usual. You don't get to exercise that sort of irritability in other ways. Yeah. So generally, like I'm at home. A lot of people are going out into the world, and God bless you. I mean, I'm we're there. We're going to try to do it safely as well. But like, I've been in this motherfucker for six months, and like. As such, like, I have to, yeah, it's like, I have to be like, yo, you, one, go easy on yourself, but two, like, know that the, the pressure's high and there's extreme, that, that's why I asked about ayahuasca, because it's so clear the areas of sort of the defects of character. Yeah. So clear. And it's literally day to day. It's like, oh, there it is. There's impatience. There's intolerance. There's yeah. selfishness. Well, it was explained to me that those character defects are like leaves on a tree, right? So impatience, selfishness, gloth, but a gluttony, whatever the fuck I'm trying to say. They're the leaves on the tree. And if I keep trying to pull them off, they just keep growing back. And, and that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of the tree. So if I focus on my selfishness and self-centeredness, it deals with all those little character defects. And I found that to be pretty accurate. Uh, So we do this little questionnaire at the end of the podcast, and it's just a couple questions. So like, what song do you wish, what's your favorite song or what song do you wish you wrote? (laughs) That's the best answer so far on the podcast. I love that. Here in your bedroom. The best is, and the best part, the best part of that is, uh, that last one, that, that where you go up ah, on the- ah, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah, with the breath, yeah. Feldy Bro, loves that I, answer more than anything he's ever heard on the podcast, I think. 100%. I can't, I can't explain it. I don't know why, but when I heard it go up, you change the melody at the end. I was like, that's, that's the best thing. It just, it feels so good physically to me to hear that. It's so, so funny because I write with all these, you know, there's this, there's this thing that's called uh, Swedish math in, in songwriting, you know, we're all like Max Martin has this kind of philosophy of who's probably one of the greatest modern pop songwriters that there, that there is. And, yeah. and, he, and he says, you know, every syllable has to fall on a certain, on a certain note and, and you have to, you know, repeat it in a certain way for the math to work for a perfect pop song. And it's like every chorus basically is the same melody with some ad libs on top of it. And it's so funny how like, that's my favorite part of the song too, which doesn't go with the sweet, the Swedish math, you know, kind of solution, which is great that right. you say that, you know, that it, it, that's the great thing about creating it, 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 it. There isn't an equation every time to make it work. Yeah. But that's, what's special about that riff is you have stuck to a really strong structure, the whole song. So when you get to jump off of it for even one second, it's really satisfying. It's good stuff. What superpower do you wish that you have or had? If you could have any superpower, what would it be? 
I think teleportation would be really cool. Especially right and then, now. And then time travel for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who gets stuck for hours uh, in the playground that is ancient civilizations and the Sumerians and who did what and aliens, but then there's underwater river systems. I could go on for days. I want to know what a T-Rex actually <laughs> looked like. One last one. What, uh, how often do you delete your browser history? Never. <laughs> that's what, that's what like private tabs are for or dark, whatever it's called. Incognito. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever it's called. <laughs> Thank you for coming on today. This has been awesome. We really appreciate having you. Thanks, guys. I love you both. It's so good to see your faces. Bye.